he was to go into, which is chapter 11, and I thought, no, 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 no. No, I ain't touching that. That's pastor's going to teach that one. So, so I, I went on to something else, and we and the Lord gave me something that uh, I feel very passionate about, and he was uh, gracious to allow me to, to study it and to uh, just come up with some notes for it. And So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to start off in 1 Timothy. And thank you, Sister Kim, for getting the clock up there for me. Um, 1 Timothy 1.17. This is just one verse I'm going to read here. It says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We serve a, we serve a king who is eternal, immortal, invisible, and he is wise. And he lives forever and ever. And uh, my subject tonight that God just laid upon me to, to talk about is, I guess I could title it, would be, when very visible, not so wise mortal men encounter the eternal, immortal, invisible, and only wise God. I know that's a long title. If you want to shorten it up, it would say, When Men Encounter God. I put in there, man is, not, is, is very visible, where God is invisible. Man's not so wise, God is all wise. And God is immortal, and we are mortal. But uh, God just, he, he I, I read this book, uh, is a book by written by a gentleman by the name of Samuel Vaughn. And uh, Brother Caleb, I'd like to encourage you. Samuel Vaughn wrote that book. He wrote this book while he was a youth minister. And he's not very old still today, but, but uh, he was right in the middle of his youth ministry. And uh, he wrote this book, and the book was entitled, It Filled the House. And there's, there's lots of stuff in this book, and I love how he uses lots of scriptures and so forth, but he talks about how God's glory filled the house. And he's talking about, really, man, he's, he's talking about this subject, really, man encounters God, how man encounters God. So God, God speaks, speaks to us in different ways, and we see this throughout the Bible uh, in all different ways. Uh, it says that God said... You know, God, a, lot of, a lot of places in the Bible it will say, God said unto Abraham or unto Noah, God said this, God said that. Well, I've never physically, audibly heard God just speak to me and say, Brad, do this or do that. But obviously in the Bible there's many men who, who did hear this. God speak directly to them. Now we're talking about an invisible God. He has different ways he does that. One way he's done that is through the, what is called the angel of the Lord. He, many times it says the angel of the Lord appeared unto so-and-so. The angel of the Lord did this. The angel of the Lord uh, fought these, this battle for them. It often speaks uh, uh, in, uh, in uh, Exodus. It talks about uh, uh, Moses and how he was just out walking around one day and he noticed a burning bush and the bush wasn't burnt, was not being consumed. And so God, you know, when he turned, God spoke to him from this burning bush. So God used a burning bush at one point to talk to someone. God wrote on two tables of stone. God wrote with his finger on a wall one time. So he has many ways he, he does this. He even spoke from a donkey to rebuke a prophet one time. A donkey actually spoke. So he does, I mean, God is God. He can do anything he wants. We have to understand that. And it, it's hard for our infinite minds to grasp sometimes that God can just do anything he wants. There's nothing that he can't do. So he can do however he wants. 
Sometimes he uses dreams and visions. The, probably the most common way that we know how God interacted with man was through the man Christ Jesus. Jesus being the Son of God, meaning the humanity of God. He, he spoke and he dwelt among men and he, he was right here on earth with man. So God, God desires a fellowship. He desires that fellowship and relationship with mankind. We see that all through the Bible, all the way through here. And uh, it was funny how yesterday I was studying. I was actually over at the pastor's house. They were installing some carpet. And I'd been there and uh, helping, you know, just helping get carpet in there. But once he'd get it in there, I'd go study and he'd do all his thing. And uh, when he left, you know, I went home and I, I was tired. I took my shower, and I laid down just to, to rest a little bit before my wife got home, and I just laid on the bed, and, and I let our dog out. And our dog, Sophie, she, she's just a little over a year old, got tons of energy, tons of energy. And she wants your attention. She wants, she wants really some relationship with you. She, she, she is so, uh, so hungry for it, but, she, you know, she's pretty patient. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't sit there and bark at you the whole time and everything. But uh, it was funny. I was laying there on the bed, and, and uh, I had my, my arms just laying out there. And I closed my eyes, and I was just meditating on the stuff that I had just studied and the, the thoughts that I had. And, and she's just sitting there jumping all over the bed and just, you know, about to drive me crazy, really. But then she, she starts nudging at my arms, and she starts picking up my arm and throwing it, and she's... She takes her little toys and she sets them up on my chest and she, she's wanting me to throw a toy so, so I can play with her and I'm just wanting to just relax. And, and uh, you know, I thought, it, it, it dawned on me, you know, God's, sometimes that, I think God, is, is that how I am to God? Am I just ignoring him? When he's nudging me? When he's putting things right on me that I don't even realize, that, you know, what he's doing? And so, I, you know, I thought, man, my dog, my dog is, is giving me a vision here of something that, you know, God is telling me. And I thought, you know, I'm going to share this with you because, you know, if it, if it means something to me, it, it means something to you. But she's doing everything. She's burrowing underneath my arms, trying to pick my arms up. She's, she's just, just, just wanting attention, just wanting attention. And that's how God is with us. He wants our attention. He's patient with us. He's not going to make you, but he wants your attention. So in this book called It Filled the House, there was, there was a lot of uh, good stuff. And so if you, if you hear anything intelligent probably that I would say tonight, it probably came from that book. I, I'm telling you, I'm not a real, real smart person, but there's a lot of good stuff in, that, in this book that he brings out and how God... Uh, how he interacts with man. We can we can go. Uh, you don't have to go very far in the Bible to see how God, you know, actually communicated with man. Uh, in, in chapter three of Genesis, Adam and Eve they're in the garden. You read about how God walked in the garden with them in the cool of the day. In in chapter five of Genesis, uh, Enoch Enoch walked. It says that he walked with God. And was not, for God took him. See, Enoch was considered, I mean, it was believed that he was perfect. He was a perfect man. And all of a sudden, they said, you know, the Bible basically said that they couldn't find him anymore. God just took him. In, Gen- in chapter 6 of Genesis, God spoke to Noah. I, it says, God said. I think God talked directly with Noah. I mean, if to, to do the feat that he did... He probably had to have some pretty good confirmation that this is really God talking to me. In chapter 12, God speaks to Abram. In chapter 12, he he makes a covenant with Abram and tells him that he's going to make a great nation out of him and so forth. In chapter 18 of Genesis, and we're going to go to some of these verses, but Abraham encounters three men. So if you you have your Bible and you want to turn and follow along with this... uh, Chapter 18 of Genesis, 1 through 3. 
read up there. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door of the heat in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Now this was Abraham, or yeah, Abraham. He's he's uh, encountered these, these three men that have, have come. And, he's, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. So these three men, you see, these three men come, and, and, and Abraham calls at least one of them, My Lord. In verse 13 of that same chapter, Chapter 18, verse 13 says, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Oh, that's not, I didn't have the wrong. I I had the wrong verse on that one. Let's go to chapter, verse 16. Verse 16 of Genesis 18. It says, And the men rose up and thence looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. So Abraham, he gets up after talking with these these three men, and uh, he gets up and leaves with them. And, uh, And then down in verse 20 through 22, it says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because... Their sin is very grievous. I will go down now and see whether they have what they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So many times I've heard this story of these three angels that came. These three angels that came and visited Abraham. But it says here... That one of them was the Lord. I believe it was probably the angel of the Lord. It doesn't specify that, but I believe it was the angel of the Lord. And it says, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. In verse 33, the very last verse of that chapter says, And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. So it says the Lord went his way. So Abraham had an actual encounter with probably the angel of the Lord. And then if you go right into verse or chapter 19, the first verse there, it says, and there came two angels. And it's talking about these two angels going into to Sodom. So these two angels and the Lord, I believe, were the three men who came and visited Abraham. If you go in chapter 22 of Genesis, it says that God asked Abraham to offer up Isaac. So that's, that is the chapter where Isaac, uh, Abraham, or God tells Abraham, bring your son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. And, and he does so. And, and God is really just testing to see where Abraham's really at with him, if his faith is strong. So God, God's asked Abraham to do that. In chapter 32, we see Jacob, where Jacob wrestled with a man. In chapters, or in that same chapter uh, of Genesis 32, 28 through 30, and this is, that story of Jacob wrestling with a man, 28 through 30. It says, and he said, then thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, my, thy name. So, so Jacob's asking this, this whatever's fighting with him, wrestling with him, what is your name? And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my, my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, 
For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. We all know the scripture that says, you know, that uh, when Moses asked God that he could see his glory, that God said, no man can see my glory and live. It's, it's a fatal thing to see God's whole glory, the, the, the total glory. There's no way we could comprehend it. Man cannot comprehend. It's too much for us. It would actually kill us to see all the glory of God. But I believe God uh, allowed Jacob here to see at least a portion of his glory, to see a little bit of him face to face. It says, and it even mentions, it says, and my life is preserved. My life is preserved. So he had a face-to-face encounter. And then we go to, then I get into the, uh, the man that most of us probably think of as communicating with God, and that is Moses. Moses had, there's so much. We can, I mean, we could go for hours talking about the different encounters that Moses had with God. Uh, in, in Exodus 3, uh, 1 through 4, says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he fled, the, and he led the flock of the, on the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to, to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. So this is the experience. We all know this story. But can you imagine? You know, we, you might, it might be more common in that area uh, because of the, probably the bushes that, are, that get dry during the summer and lightning or whatever, that, that something would be burning just out in the middle of nowhere. But, but Moses happened to notice that this bush did not, it wasn't consumed. It had been burning. He probably noticed it had been burning for a while, but it was not being consumed. And then God called, he speaks right out of this bush. He speaks to, Noah, or to uh, Moses. In verses 10 through 11 of that same chapter, it says, now, now come, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. So God is, in this experience, he's, he's talking to Moses and telling him what he wants to do. He says, that thou, that thou mayest bring my people forth, bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, who am I? You ever thought that way? I think that way every time pastor asks me to teach, I'm like, who am I? You got all kinds of ministers that can do this. But Moses, he was just an ordinary person. He wasn't eloquent in speech. You know, we read about that. But uh, who am I? I? God, I am nobody. And then he goes on and he argues with God, really. He's trying to uh, tell him, you know, that you, know, that you can pick somebody better than me. But But... Moses agrees, in chapter 4, Moses agrees to, to do it, and he finally, he's heading back to Egypt, and, and uh, in verse, or chapter 4, verses 24 through 26 right here, this is something that's interesting, that the first time I ever heard this, I was like, what? It says, and it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him, talking about Moses, and sought to kill him. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. You, God, you just called Moses to come back and, and rescue your people. And then now you're wanting to kill him? And then Zipporah, which is his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. And, and cast it at his feet and said, surely a bloody husband art thou unto me. So he let him go, and she said, A bloody husband art thou because of the circumcision. You know, his wife, she was, she was not an Israelite. She, was, she didn't understand the traditions of, of the circumcision. She knew about it, I'm sure, because Moses probably had told her about it 
But at this point, he had not done that to his, his child, to his son. He had not circumcised his child. And that was a part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Was that all males had to be circumcised on the eighth day. And he had not done that yet. And, and he was going to go back and lead God's people out of Egypt. But yet he hadn't even done what the covenant said he had to do. And because of it, God was, was seeking to kill him. To take, you know, he, he said, you know, basically he wanted him to get things right. Moses, you need to get things right. And then in, in um, Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, it says, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. My name, by the name of God Almighty. But my name, but by my name, Jehovah, was I yet, not yet known unto them. So God reveals, this is the first time in the Bible that God reveals his name. Up until this time, he's just called God Almighty. It's a title. He's just God Almighty. Now we know his name, Jehovah. This is the God that, that Israel served all through the, the Old Testament. And they still today, Jehovah is, is who they, they serve. Um, of course, they don't realize that Jesus, he came as a man. Jehovah came as a man. And as a man, his name is Jesus. So that brings us then to, I'm gonna, I want to go on over to chapter 13 of Exodus. And this is where the first we hear of the glory cloud, what you would refer to probably as the glory cloud. Uh, Exodus 13, 21 through 22, it says, And the Lord went before them by day and in a pillar of cloud and to lead them by the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them lights to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from the people. So this is where, where they have now left Egypt, the, the ten plagues. They just got done with the ten plagues, and Pharaoh finally sent them away to worship how they want to worship. He, he's, Pharaoh's lost his son, all, all the firstborn in the whole land of Egypt died and and he's just sick of it he's just like get out of here and when they did when they left here in in verse 21 22 this is the first we see where it talks about the pillar of the cloud that actually guided them this is the first mention of it this is the first mention of god's the god given gps i had to get that one in there God's GPS, the cloud by day, the fire by night. And this was really, I believe, the first that God really had any type of interaction or uh, way of the common person to, you know, it was like they had a chance to really see God and him moving. Uh, they seen all the things, of the, the ten plagues. But, you know, a lot of those ten plagues didn't even affect them. So it's, a lot of them probably didn't even really know too much about the, what was going on in the rest of the world. They didn't have social media like we do today, you know, within 10 seconds you know everything's going on in the world. Back then, I'm sure they didn't. But uh, anyhow, this was the first mention of the cloud. In Exodus 14, Pharaoh then pursues, he finally uh, realizes I've just let go of all of our slaves that we have building this wonderful uh, empire that we've got. And, and he pursues after them then, after they've gone. And they've gone out and, and uh, God directs them by this cloud into a place where they've got the Red Sea on one side and mountains all around. They're kind of, tr- they're in this little area. And it's night, it's time to settle down for night. And they realize Behind them is coming Pharaoh and his army. And they're starting to get a little worried. Uh, 
Some of them maybe know, maybe know the area. I think they probably could see the mountains, and they probably could see the sea, and they could see there's no way we can, in any quick time at all, get out of here. And they start complaining, and they start uh, complaining to Moses, you know, you let us out here to die. Why, why did you bring us out here? If Pharaoh's out here, he's after us, and he's going to kill us. So they're starting to. And really what God was trying to do is put them in a situation where they would have to have some faith and just have to just see what God could really do. That's really what he, and he actually says that that's what he was doing. He's telling, he's told Moses that. And so, in Exodus 14, verse 10, it says, and, Pharaoh drew, and when Pharaoh drew nigh the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. So they were, they were scared now, because uh, they didn't know, you know, how in the world are we going to escape this? And then in verse 13 and 14, it says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have served, whom, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. So Moses is telling the people, he's not only going to, to win this battle for you, but you're not going to have to deal with the fear of the Egyptians ever again. Never again are you going to have to worry about it. And I think he wants us, when we get in these situations where we think there's no way out, he wants, to, he wants us to trust him. He will take care of our battles. And, and when he does, we don't have to hold on. We don't have to remember and, and keep thinking, oh, no, is that going to happen again? Believe and trust God. In verses 19 and 20, it says, And the angel of, the, of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face, and stood behind them, and it came between, the, came between the camp and the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And, the cloud, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, to, to Israel, so that the one came not near the other at all that night. So, just imagine, you had, they had this cloud that they were following. A lot of times we have things in our lives that we follow. You know, we say, these are little things that God's showing me and I'm following these. And then Israel, all of a sudden they seen this cloud go up over them and go behind the whole group of them. Can you imagine the fear, the anxiety, the confusion that they had? What, is, is God mad at us? Is he leaving us? Is he just going to walk away? You see, usually when we feel God is moving away from us in our time of greatest need, he's actually moving toward our problem and defending us. What we think is desertion is actually deterrence. He's actually, on the one side, he's guiding us. See, God goes before his people. Sometimes God goes behind them as well. He provides direction from the front and protection from behind. So he will protect us from the backside, from our enemies. When God clouds your view of a situation... Don't get upset because you cannot keep the battle in your own hands. So many times we want control of our battles. We think if we have control, then we can do something. God wants us to sometimes let go of things and let him take care of it. 
When God clouds our view of a situation, do not get upset. You can't keep that battle on your hands. Instead, rejoice that your deliverer has stepped in to fight on your behalf. We have to trust him. You see, this whole picture of what happened right here is really like a a New Testament imagery of light and darkness. And the New Testament talks about if you are on the, the wrong side of that cloud, though, you're in darkness. But if you are on God's side, Christ is the light in your life. When you are on the Lord's side of the cloud, you can't look back at your past. That was something, you know, all night long, that cloud separated Israel and Pharaoh's army. That cloud on the, on the side of Israel, they're looking, they're probably spent most of their night looking at that cloud, thinking, when are they going to come through? But they could not see through there. It was God's provision was there to keep them from even looking and seeing what's going on on the other side. And on the other side, Pharaoh's army is looking over here. And first of all, they're probably scared to death because because they seen, you know, everything that was happening. They seen they probably seen the pillar of fire before it got between them. And what is their what was their number one god in Egypt? It was the sun god. They thought they had the god of the sun. And yet the sun god was in this cloud and was taking care of Israel and protecting Israel from them. I'm sure they were pretty scared. But it said that they, all night long, all they could see was darkness. They, they, they didn't even have light to shine for them. So they, had, they were in total darkness. And then, of course, the story we know, the next morning, Moses reached, you know, puts his rod out, and the sea opens, the Red Sea opens up, and they walk across. Pharaoh's army goes through. The waters come together and drown them all. Drown all, of, it says, all of Pharaoh's army. Not just some of them, all of them. And so they will never, ever again have to worry about Egypt. Never again. Another place I want to go to that we see uh, interaction between God and Moses a lot is at Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, we're going to skip back to chapter 19. It says, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and read this chapter real quick. It's, there's 25 verses here because there's so much stuff in here. It says, in the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt in the same day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai which had pit, and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you uh, unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a king, a priest, and a holy nation. These are the words which thou speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these things, which the words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the Lord, uh, the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, and the people that the people may hear me when I speak with thee, and I be- and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them w- 
wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day of the Lord will come down. For the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai. And upon the, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall no, or there shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, and they, they were, and there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet God with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And, and Mount Sinai was altogether on, on a smoke. Because of the Lord descended upon it in, in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long the, and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon the mount, Mount Sinai, and on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come, come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest them, us, saying, Set bounds around, about the mountain and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. And so Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. You see, in this chapter, we see God talking to Moses and telling him four different times in this one chapter, in 25 verses, four times he tells him, to sanctify. He tells Moses, sanctify them. He tells the priest, sanctify yourselves. Most of the time when we think of being sanctified, we think we can't, we can't sanctify ourselves. Only God could sanctify us. Well, to sanctify, it means to check yourself and, and to, to correct things that are wrong in your life, to, to do that. But he is very adamant about they should be sanctified. They, they don't come at me lightly. They don't come unto me lightly or they will, be, they will be killed. And he put all these bounds around the mountain to keep them because, because he, God knew. He knows every, every person. He knows everything about everybody. And he knew the relationship he had with Moses and that Moses was sanctified and could, could bear being with him. <coughs> so, so Moses, in, in, in verses 18 and 21 there, well, let's go to uh, Exodus 20, 18 through 21, the very next chapter here. Uh, and, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you. And his fear may be before your faces, and ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. You see, back here in chapter 19, in verse 9, God is telling the people, 
to come. At least come where you can hear me. He wants them to hear. But the people, when they first see the, the mountain and, and all the thunder and all the greatness of God, the, the, the power of God, they're scared. You know, we often, we often uh, see people who have never been in a Pentecostal service. If they get into a rocking Pentecostal service, sometimes they get scared. The presence of God can be a little bit fearful at times. But there's power in it. You see, this, the mountain shook. It was in the smoke, it said. And they were scared. And they said, Moses, why don't you just be a mediator for us? Why don't you just go and talk to God and come back and, and, and then you can tell us what he says. They didn't, they didn't want that personal relationship because they were too fearful. It wasn't worth the cost that they felt because maybe they, maybe they knew that they weren't good enough in, their, in the sin in their life or whatever and that God might do something to them. We don't know what they were fearful really of, but they were fearful and said that they... That they, they didn't want to have that experience. It says, in the, so the people, they stood afar off. But Moses drew near unto the thick, the thick darkness where God was. God was, he was in that thick darkness. And the reason he was in a thick darkness it was... I'm going to continue if something, another time when I maybe teach because there's way too much here to, to cover in one night. But you, when we, if we would talk about the difference between the glory of God in the cloud and the cloud itself, it's two totally different things. It's totally different things. But they, they were afraid to even go to the, to the cloud itself. And, and Moses, he was willing. He drew near because he wanted that personal time, that personal experience and relationship with God. In Exodus 24, verse 9 through 14, it says, Then went Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Now, this is after Moses then did. He went up and he talks with God and so forth, and, and then he comes back. God gave him, a, gave him some instructions, uh, talked about driving out the enemy and some of that. But then Moses comes back, and, and God tells, tells him to bring, to bring uh, these different people. He says, that, and when, when, then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw God, the God of Israel. First time I read that, I thought nobody's seen God. It says right here, it says, they seen God, the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. It's believed, scholars believe that that was probably the throne of God. It's often uh, talked about the throne of God and, and different stones being involved with it. Anyhow, it says, uh, and upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. And they, and they saw God and did eat and drink. So they went and had picnic with God. Seventy of the elders, Nadab, Abihu, Aaron, Moses, God allowed them to have some kind of interaction. I don't think they've seen the full glory. There's no way. God said, nobody can do that and still live. So I don't, so the, but they had some type of an encounter with God. See, the mountain of God, the mountain of God's glory... It's not to be climbed in arrogance, you know, getting more of God. It's, it's not 
to get, you know, to be arrogant or to be, you know, to do it because of self-righteousness. But it's out of genuine desire to experience more of God. I want to climb to where the air is so thin to, that, to care, that it won't carry the voice of critics who have to shout from their place of contentment down in the valley. And in the end, I just want more of God. You know, I want to I be so much in tune with him that I don't, whatever people say about, you know, oh, you're, too, you're just being too holy. You're just doing this, you know, for attention. No, I, we just do this because we want more of God. We want to know him more. We want that relationship, that day-to-day relationship with him. God called Moses to climb the mountain seven times. And he did this for instruction. God gave him instruction. But, you know, Moses actually climbed it the eighth time. And he asked God to see his glory. He he climbed it that eighth time out of a desire to see God's glory. Not a requirement, but rather God allowed it as a reward. He allowed it as a reward. If you will do the seemingly monotonous work for the Lord that no one wants to do, God will reward you with an experience that most people never have. You see, today, the Moseses of today are the ones who, they show up for Saturday night prayer. They show up for community outreach. They go home after church service and open their Bible and study some more. I want to know more about what pastors just taught about. I want to understand it for myself. The Moseses of today spend much time in prayer and fasting. They volunteer to help wherever and whenever. You see, prayer and fasting and studying are disciplines. But eventually, discipline becomes desire. And desire invites the divine. You see, God's glory always descends. It always descends upon the mountain. It descends upon this and that. The only time God's glory ever ascended is when in the New Testament where we see Jesus ascending, you know, after his resurrection, he ascends into heaven. That's the only time it mentions where God's glory ascends. It's always God's glory descending. The glory of God always comes down from heaven, and it indicates the difference between creator and the creation. The only exception is when Jesus ascended. God is not impressed with how well we do things. We can never, you know, our glory can never really ascend to God. It's always his glory coming down. It doesn't matter how persuasively we preach or teach. God's not really impressed with that. It's not how beautifully we can sing. Our submission invites his presence to descend and dwell on the throne of the praises of his people. I often hear somebody sing, and I usually say, that's anointed. You can tell the difference between an anointed singer and a good singer. There's a lot of good singers. There's some good, there's some anointed singers. So looking back at Exodus 19 and 9 there, we, we once again, we, we see Israel was, was liberated from Egypt and God wanted to speak to all the people. He wanted to speak to every one of us. Every one of us. He didn't want just Moses. He wanted everybody to hear it. Why did he want you to hear it? He wants you to fear sin. That's really what he wants you to do. It says he, he did it that you might not sin. That you would be... Fearful, that's, that's called the fear of God. The people were scared and told Moses to just go, go talk to God for them. They wanted to keep their distance. Be our middleman, be our mediator. I am willing to make, am I willing to make an effort to experience God for myself? Or do I rely on someone else to talk to God for me? Do I re- rely on my pastor? 
my mom, my dad, my boyfriend, girlfriend. Am I relying on somebody else for my growth with God, my, my, my relationship? In Hebrews, actually, in, in chapter 12, it says that God provided himself as a mediator. Now we can go to Jesus directly. We don't have to. You know, all through the Old Testament in the tabernacle, there was a mediator. You know, there was, it had to be a mediator because of the sin. Really, it was because of the sin of the people. So, so God, uh, he, he, set up, he set up the whole temple worship because of their sin. It was the only reason that that even existed. Let us not be content with someone else's relationship. I can't be satisfied with just sitting at a distance. At my seat, watching, maybe watching from my lazy boy at home, watching someone else worship God on their mountain. You will never increase your relationship with God by watching someone else worship. You know, and I love to see people worship. And I, I love it, you know, when you see uh, little kids or, you know, just, just in real worship. I love to, to watch people, but it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me, between me and my God. It's you. You have to do it on your own. I need to build an altar and sacrifice and then climb my own mountain. Don't get caught sitting in these chairs gazing. Because it can be so easy. When service is starting to, to hop and we can feel the presence of God. And he does. He moves in the presence of his people. Don't get caught gazing and just watching what's going on. Get involved in it. Get, get in it. Be a part of it. Let God move in you. Something we need to learn to do is something that it talks about Joshua doing. In, in Exodus 33, we're just about done here, so don't get too nervous. See, Joshua, he was, he was uh, a military warrior for Moses. He led, he led many battles for Moses and, and uh, conquered uh, the enemy. Uh, but, you know, it's, Joshua was elevated from a warrior to a servant. What do you mean? Well, he was, it says... He was the minister of Moses. God asked Joshua to be his minister, be his servant. Really, that's what it means. A minister means to be a servant. So he went from being this glamorous uh, warrior to being the man who carries things for Moses. But you know... In Exodus 33, 9 through 11, right there, it says, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle. Now, this isn't talking about the tabernacle that we think of, that they worshipped in. This is actually what's called the tabernacle of the congregation. Uh, it was, it was a, a meeting tent that Israel had that they set up. And this is where Moses would go, and he would talk with God, you know, before Mount Sinai, or actually after the, the Mount Sinai experience. And uh, he, he, would, he would do that. He would always go to the tabernacle of the congregation. So, but here, here we are in this tabernacle. And it says, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into that tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses, and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man out of his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. Again, we see face to face Moses speaking to the Lord. 
As a man speaketh unto his friend. Just like I'm speaking to you. And he turned again unto, unto the camp. Talking about Moses. So he goes outside of the tabernacle. It says, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And I don't believe God's glory left that tabernacle either right away. Joshua learned to linger. He not only got involved in the worship at the altar. He not only got involved in the service that he was doing. But he learned to linger and to linger. Some of the best times I can ever remember in services were probably an hour after service when lots of the people had already left. God then moved. I can remember at church camp. Brother Mel, you probably remember this uh, before too. Where and This was back in the old tabernacle, the steel building. This was probably two hours after service was over. And, and the, everybody was at the altar praying. And a cloud, just a cloud was around the whole place. Surrounded the place. God's glory. Why, why a cloud? Why is there a cloud? This is getting into our next lessons. But, but uh, the cloud is actually a shield. It is a covering because God's glory is too much. It's too much for most people. It's definitely too much without any type of a shield. It, think of it this way. On a hot, really hot day, say you're in Florida, because that's where it gets hot. And it's, it's hot as can be. And the sun is bright as can be. And you look up at the sky, you look towards the sun, and the sun, and it, what is it, how, what's it like? It's so bright, you, can't, you, you squint, because you can't. But when a cloud finally comes and covers that, that, the sun, it's still light out. The sun is still making its way through. But now it's got a covering, covering it so that you're able. You know, Moses, when he came down off the mount one time, when the people talked to him, they, they asked Moses, Moses, could you cover your face with a veil? Because his face was so bright. It shined so bright because of the afterglow. Let me ask you. You think people see any kind of afterglow after visiting with you or talking to you? Is there any kind of afterglow that we can, a little bit of God falling on them? Should be. People should be able to know when you just came out of a great service or you just had a prayer time at home. We shouldn't, we shouldn't hide it. It's the greatest thing we could ever experience. You see, we, we need to learn to be like the Joshua's and the Moses. We need to learn to linger. We have access to the presence of God. And then farther into this book, Talking about the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God in us. You see, we have access to it, but do we have we learned to linger long enough? Or are we so quick to just get to the restaurant or get home, do this or that? God wants our attention, and He is patiently nudging you. Kind of like Soapy, my dog. He's not going to force you. But he really would like to spend some time with you. And I think it's beneficial to look in the Old Testament and learn some of the things. Of what, what happened when God met with man, you know, clear back then. He's still meeting with men today. He's still meeting with men today. Now, he's not, he's not contradicting anything. You know, people, you got some far out people who, who come out with all these new revelations and stuff. And, and they're off because God in his word says, I will never, this is finished. 
I will never contradict it. That doesn't mean he won't give you words of wisdom or words of, of uh, knowledge or words of this and that. But desire God. Desire a relationship with him. He's nudging you. He, he, he's like my dog. He, he's all, he, would, he would do anything to get our attention, to get us to do more. To get us to do more. It is late enough, 820. We need to get, get out. So, like I say, there's, there's so much more to this. If you, uh, if you ever would like to find that book, I find it's, it is on Amazon. It's called uh, Into His Glory, or I believe is what it is. Or into, it, it Filled the House. It Filled the House is the name of it by Samuel Vaughn. And uh, lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff. So, God bless you. We are done tonight, and uh, hopefully you got something, a little nugget that you can hold on to and increase your faith. God bless you.